0: This is Truth With Grace, the media ministry of Grace Baptist Church. We're so pleased to join us today as we continue our exploration of the truth found in God's Word and the grace of salvation. Pastor Pierros is continuing his preaching from the Gospel of Matthew, and today we're in chapter 27. After detailing much about the last hours of Christ before the crucifixion, Matthew takes a moment to tie up one loose end. What about Judas? Judas had been a follower of Christ, and yet he'd become his betrayer. What happened to him? We'll learn about that today, but we'll also see God's great love and mercy as he uses Judas and the religious leaders to shout the warning, don't repeat their mistakes, and think you can reach heaven without saving faith. There's a big difference between saving and failing faith. My name is Brian Schmidt, and I'll have more information for you at the end of this program. For now, let's listen to today's message from Pastor Pierre. So, if you have your
1: Bibles with you, turn them to the 27th chapter of the Gospel of Matthew. We're going to read verses 1 through 10. Follow along with me. Now, when morning came, all the chief priests and the elders of the people conferred together against Jesus to put him to death. And they bound him and led him away and delivered him to Pilate the governor. Then when Judas, who had betrayed him, saw that he had been condemned, he felt remorse and returned the thirty pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders, saying, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. But they said, What is that to us? See to that yourself. And he threw the pieces of silver into the temple sanctuary and departed, and he went away and hanged himself. The chief priests took the pieces of silver and said, It is not lawful to put them in the temple treasury, since it is the price of blood. And they conferred together and with the money bought the potter's field as a burial place for strangers. For this reason, that field has been called the field of blood to this day. And that which was spoken through Jeremiah the prophet was fulfilled. And they took the 30 pieces of silver, the price of the one whose price had been set by the sons of Israel, and they gave them for the potter's field as the Lord directed. All right, church, so let's identify it here Failing faith from the text. There are three features that I want to point out to you in order to discern saving faith from failing faith and obviously make adjustments accordingly in our own lives. So, the first feature of failing faith that is very clear here in the text is religion without rebirth, verses one through two. Matthew introduces the Roman phase of the trial of Jesus. Ironically, the perpetrators of this corrupt trial were the most religious people of their society. And their distorted interpretation of Scripture led them to commit bribery, deception, and ultimately murder. The murder of Christ. But obviously everything happened under divine sovereignty. But what these guys do here, they prove to us that being religious for religious sake, not only fails to accomplish anything of spiritual value, but it may lead to actually the opposite desired outcome. In fact, every religion that values outward expressions above heart transformation drives people away from God. Jesus had been telling these people for the entire Gospel of Matthew here, you are hypocrites. He says, you leave the heart untouched. You are so worried about outside impressions that you leave the heart untouched, that is not true religion. Those systems of outward religion that accomplish nothing, they may promote philanthropy, they may promote good behavior or behavior modification from the outside, but only a rebirth leads to mortification of sin, which is what we are after here. We call this progressive sanctification, the fact that we are constantly being transformed from the inside out. Because when you transform the heart, behavior will follow. Now, if you focus on the other way around, then you have religion without the rebirth. Now, outward religion can be compared to someone who spends six hours a day in the gym and goes home to wolf down three cheeseburgers and smoke three packs of Marlboro Lights. It's a self-defeating system. Observing liturgy without dying to self is like spraying perfume on a carcass. Or putting on makeup on a corpse. It accomplishes nothing. The question then for us is this. As we're looking at this scene and we're looking at these guys, the question is, does God expect from us mere behavior conformity with a set of rules? Not according to Paul. This is what he writes, Galatians 2, verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ, he says, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And in Romans 5, verse 80, he says, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. So what he's saying here is that proper religion here, what God wants from us is a die to self, is dying to our old nature, even though our old nature will remain until we get to glorification. It's a constant battle. Paul even struggled with that. He says, oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? The good that I want, I don't do. And the bad that I don't want to do, I do. Well, welcome to the club, church. But the point is, true religion properly addresses our old nature. And again, this is not a new idea. Jesus said in John 3, verse 5, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. So what Jesus is saying is unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, every human being enters the world through water birth. Isn't that right? You were born because your mother's water broke, so we are born of water. That's physical birth. But Jesus says in order to be in the kingdom, you need to be born again, born of the Spirit. That's the rebirth that Scripture talks about. This is something that the chief priests and elders of the Sanhedrin here in the first century missed by miles. They were so focused on religion that they missed the new birth. They missed the importance of being born again. See, no one can be born into God's family. You have to be born again into God's family, according to what Scripture says. And these guys missed this even though they were religious so the other question then for us this morning is, what does God then expect of twice-born people? Does he expect us to merely conform our behavior to a set of rules? That, that's part of it, of course. But listen to this. The author of the book of Proverbs answers that question for us. He says this, To do righteousness and justice is desire by the Lord more than sacrifice. Proverbs 21, verse 3. Micah the prophet comments, He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God? Micah 6, verse 8. Again, this is not a new concept. It abounds in Scripture. Samuel says, Has the Lord as much delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed than the fat of rams. First Samuel 15, verse 22. And again, Jesus wraps this whole thing up here by confronting some of the religious people of his day. He says, go and learn what this means. He said that to the Pharisees and the scribes. Go and learn what this means. I desire compassion and not sacrifice, for I did not come to call the righteous but sinners. That's in Matthew 9, verse 13. And you will remember those glorious words in the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus says, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Ouch! That is a indictment on outwardly focused religion that the scribes and the Pharisees were promoting, Jesus says that righteousness is not sufficient to get people into heaven. In other words, there is no innate righteousness in us. We need to look for an outside source in order to receive that righteousness necessary to make it to heaven. In church, what is that outside source? Jesus Christ himself. Now, in light of this, I want to ask you some questions. Does God care more about the number of prayers we recite or the condition of the heart from which these prayers come? Does He care more about the number of committees we chair in the local church or the motivation with which we serve? Only reborn people can serve God adequately because of what we just read. All of these verses that we read here in the past, God is interested in our heart if our heart has been born again because then he begins a good work in us, we're told in the book of Philippians, but no one can acquire the rebirth. That's not something we, we earn. It's not something we can achieve. It has to come by grace through faith. We don't do it by performing religious acts. No one inherits such a position from parents, for example, or from denominational affiliation. No one can be grandfathered into the kingdom. Did you realize that? Everybody who is in the kingdom is a child of God, not a grandchild of God. So entrance into the kingdom must happen on an individual level, not in a communal level. In other words, it's coming to faith in Christ. It's not joining the church because that ship is going to heaven. No, it's an individual choice. It's a desire to be born again. Religion cannot produce the second birth because newness of life only happens by grace through faith. And that's not of yourselves, we're reminded by the Apostle Paul. It is the gift of God, Ephesians 2, verse 8. But besides religion without rebirth, failing faith also promotes confession without conversion. You see verses 3 through 5, that's what we see in the life of Judas, confession without conversion. Church, Judas walked with Jesus for three years. He witnessed the same miracles. He heard the same teaching and experienced the same blessing as the other disciples. And yet he was unsaved. He was unregenerated. He was not converted, tragically, because salvation was available to him. Now, Peter gives the graphic details of the tragedy of Judas here. According to Luke, in a meeting with the other disciples to decide on the replacement for Judas, Peter said this, this man, referring to Judas, acquired a field with the price of his wickedness, and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle, and all his intestines gushed out. That's that's Peter, okay? Acts 1, verse 18. That's his personality, and he's given us the gory details of the death of Judas here. So when we combine the two accounts, we know that evidently, Judas hanged himself, but the rope or the branch broke and he fell headlong. His his body was splattered on the rocks and his intestines gushed out here. But, But here's what we need to address here in this scene. Nowhere in the Bible does God associate suicide with the unpardonable sin. I heard it said that suicide is a permanent response to a temporary problem. Judas had a temporary problem here. His conscience was killing him. But there was hope for him. The problem for Judas is that his faith did not offer hope. Why? Because it was not saving faith. It was failing faith. See, tragically, we've all heard of believers who have found themselves in such a hopeless state of mind that in a moment of desperation, they have taken their lives. And although devastating to family members that are left behind, suicide does not automatically exclude someone from heaven. And how do? We, why do we know that, church? Because what is the only thing that will exclude people from heaven? Failing to place your trust in Christ. Being born only once. You see, if you're born twice, you'll die only once. But if you're born once, you'll die twice. So Missing heaven has nothing to do with committing a sin during a moment of weakness. And that's what what suicide is, is a sin. It's murder. It's the taking of a life that doesn't belong to you because even your life belongs to God. I don't have the right to take my own life. So my life belongs to him. He decides, don't get me wrong, I am ready to go whenever God calls me. Of course, I have a church to shepherd here. I have a family to raise. But when God decides it's time for me to go... Unplug the machine. Please let me go. Some of you may have endured the loss of a loved one through suicide. But if your suicidal family member was reborn, I want to give you hope. Because if that's the case, he or she is in heaven now, according to Christ's promise. There is no such thing as forfeiting your salvation by committing suicide. No. We believe in the eternal security of the believer, which means we are assured forever. Nothing can separate us from the love of God, not even my own actions. I cannot sin my way past the grace of God once I'm in Christ. Now, God may take me home if I'm sinning way too much here, or he will discipline me for sure, but the only unpardonable sin that the Bible talks about has nothing to do with suicide. The unpardonable sin means completely and ultimately rejecting the gospel. That is what's going to keep people from heaven. So Judas missed heaven, not because he committed suicide, but because he had counterfeit, superficial, non-saving affiliation with Christ. He had a faith that offered no hope, and as a result, he did not believe that God could forgive his sin. He mistakenly thought that, well, the power of God cannot reach me. He thought in his mind that Jesus was either unloving to care about him or unable to save him. And that is why his failing faith offered no hope, and therefore he committed suicide. Another evidence of this counterfeit faith that Judas had was that he focused on punishment. You see, that's important. In his mind, he thought, the only solution for me is punishment. What I did here is punishable by death. Therefore, I need to go ahead and take matters into my own head. And he did not consider restoration. He was so focused on punishment rather than restoration That he was not different from the people who brought a woman caught in adultery to Jesus. You remember that story in John 8 verse 11? They brought that woman caught in adultery to Jesus and said, The law says she must be killed. What do you say? Judas presumably saw it. But he was too focused on punishment, not very different from some Christians I know who demand the proverbial public flogging instead of picking up a brother or a sister in Christ who has fallen into sin and say, here, brother, let me restore you. Or here, sister, let's get you restored here. Sin no more. See, Judas confessed his sin and even affirmed Christ's innocence, which, by the way, should have put a stop to that trial immediately. He confirmed Christ's innocence, but did not confess Jesus as his Lord. You see, he had confession without conversion. Perhaps he thought he could atone for his own iniquity and did not believe Christ would take his place on the cross. Evidently, he understood God's holiness, but he failed to grasp divine grace. What a tragedy. What a tragedy to know and understand divine holiness, that God cannot tolerate sin, that God will punish every sin, and to fail to understand divine grace and appropriate divine grace. As a result, Judas had religion, but no rebirth. He had confession, but no conversion. His remorse failed to produce righteousness. The one that surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees. He. Confessed his sin but remained unconverted. He made a 90 degree turn. But true conversion leads to a U-turn. The converted person understands divine forgiveness and appropriates the words of Christ to the adulterous woman whom we just talked about. Go from now on and sin no more. His words to Peter, even after the denials, Peter, tend my sheep, feed my lambs. John 21 verse 17, in other words, you have been restored. See, the false disciple here exemplifies the saddest, Tragedy of the human race, namely to come so close to Jesus and miss heaven. Many people in the world are in a similar situation. Many people in America are in a similar situation. They think that just because they grew up in the West or because they grew up in a quote unquote Christian country, I, I'm in, I'm in the kingdom. Or because they have some sort of a nominal affiliation with a family tradition, they say, I'm in the kingdom. What a tragedy to be in a position of believing that you are saved, but you are not saved. These are the folks that think they are converted when, in fact, they are convinced. They are merely convinced. They're convinced that they're going to heaven, just like if you mistakenly board a plane to Seattle thinking you're going to San Diego. Now, you may know people like this. They profess Jesus, but they display no evidence of conversion. They sound like genuine believers. They show up for every church activity and even serve in a leadership team, just like None of the other disciples here suspected that Judas was a false believer. We usually can't spot a false convert until God exposes them. Now, rather than attempting to identify impostors, Scripture teaches us very clearly in 2 Corinthians 13, verse 5, Test yourselves to see if you are in the faith. Examine yourselves. Or do you not recognize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail the test? In other words, we need to make sure that we are walking in a manner worthy of the gospel, that we do not have failing faith, that our faith is saving faith, that offers the hope of eternal life, the hope of restoration. We don't need to despair when we sin. Why? Because we understand the power of the cross who took care of every one of my sins, past, present, and future. Now, because Scripture tells us to test ourselves, let's do that now. I'm going to ask you a few questions to help you assess the situation here in your own heart so that we're honoring what Scripture says here. Test yourself to see if you're in the faith. Question number one, can you identify a moment of rebirth in your life? It doesn't have to be the exact hour or day or time. I certainly don't. I remember it was 1993. I was a teenager, and I remember hearing the gospel and responding to the message. I don't remember the exact hour. But here's a hint. The answer, quote, I have always been a Christian, close quote is a good indication that a conversion is yet to take place. Question number two, are you drawn or repulsed by God's word? And the reason I ask that question is because Jesus once said, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them and they follow me. So obviously, if you hate biblical preaching, if you can't stand a pastor here preaching the Word of God, if you're mad at me because I'm not giving you seven ways to better finances or three ways to a better marriage or five ways to happiness instead of telling you what the text means, it's a good indicator that you are outside of the fold because when you hear the voice of Christ, you will follow Him. And the voice of Christ is this book right here. Question number three, do you long for fellowship with other believers? Now, if you can't stand being around God's people, it may not mean you're not saved. But the point is, it may mean you're not a part of the body. Because here is a very easy to understand concept. How can you claim to love God if you hate the people that he loves? It doesn't make any sense when you say, I love Jesus, I just can't stand his followers. No, we love one another, flaws and all. John clarifies, he says, if we walk in the light as he is himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. Question number four, do you focus on punishment, too, rather than the restoration of sinners? Are you too focused on punishing evildoers or sinners or the believer who has fallen into sin rather than the restoration of that believer? If so, it is likely that, like Judas, you understand God's holiness. Of course, you are appalled by sin, but you are yet to grasp divine grace. Then that is a concern. That is part of how we examine whether or not we're in the faith. Number five, do you loathe evangelism? How can you not have compassion for people who are still controlled and condemned by their sin, which is your former reality? Now, of course, our flesh gets in the way. Fear gets in the way. Intimidation from the world gets in the way. We all understand that. And there are some other metrics we can use to examine ourselves here, whether or not you are in the faith. But in case you are not, pay close attention here. This is the most important part of the message, okay? If you don't remember anything, remember this. If you are not in the faith, Jesus promises to receive you. He will never turn a repentant sinner away. He says this. In fact, he does it poetically when he says, Whoever drinks of the water that I will give him shall never thirst, but the water that I will give him will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. John 4, verse 14. And also in poetic language, he says, I am the bread of life, and he who comes to me will not hunger, and he who believes in me will never thirst. John 6, verse 35. So again, the purpose of testing to see whether or not you are in the faith is if you are not in the faith, the good news is that today you can take care of this and come the faith in Jesus Christ. I'm not saying sign up for the church. I'm saying come the faith in Christ. Judas would have had eternal life he had, if he had been born again and experienced true conversion. Don't let his tragedy become yours. Come to Christ today. Besides religion without rebirth and confession without conversion, failing faith also features admitting guilt without acknowledging God. This is what Judas did. He admitted guilt, but he did not acknowledge God. What a tragedy. Now, Matthew doesn't want us to miss the wickedness of the chief priests and the elders because they did the same thing. They admitted their guilt, but they did not acknowledge God. And the reason why we know they admitted guilt is because of their plot here for a money-laundry operation. They said, this is dirty money, this is blood money. We can't put it in the treasury here. They drafted a resolution to conceal their crime. And in doing so, they admitted guilt, but they failed to acknowledge God. And once again... Scripture reminds us that everything uh, happened under divine sovereignty. Their thought process is analogous to the drug dealer who buys an orphanage or the prostitute who gives 10% of her income to charity. See, something is missing there. But I want you to know that though tragic, the scene of the suicide of, of Judas abounds with loving care from God. It's hard to see it if you're just reading it casually, but we see the glory of God all over the place here because through this passage, God warns us against religion without rebirth. He warns us against confession without conversion and against admitting guilt without acknowledging God, all of which are evidence of non-saving faith. And we need to be able to discern saving faith from failing faith. And if we have anything other than saving faith, today is the day To make that adjustment. So I'm going to repeat the invitation to come to faith in Christ, to saving faith in Christ, in case you have a nominal affiliation with Him, in case you have a a superficial affiliation with Him. Because He wants you to be reborn, He wants you to be converted, and He wants you to acknowledge Him in your life. Father, thank you for the clarity of your word and the, the beauty of the text here, Lord, that nourishes our soul and encourages us to be more like Christ, Lord. And when we see the tragic end of the antiheroes or the antagonists of this scene, Lord, our heart breaks for them, but also, Lord, our hearts are filled with joy and gratitude because you are directing us to not repeat those mistakes, Lord. We want to have saving faith. We don't want to be focused on outward expressions of, of faith that lack substance. Father, we want to ensure in our hearts that Christ is in there. And as a result of Christ being in there, there will be fruit of our faith, Lord. Then we pray, Lord, that this message, this saving message will never leave our lips. Lord, so we want to honor you in everything we do, Lord, and proclaim Christ faithfully, no matter the cost. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.
0: If you have questions or comments, we'd love to hear from you. Our email address is radio at gbcsalem.org or you can visit our website, truthwithgrace.org for more information about our church and this media ministry. Plus, we're always looking for people just like you to help us spread the gospel around the world. This broadcast is provided to you at no cost to the generosity of financial and prayer supporters of Truth With Grace. Please feel free to share it, but please don't charge money for it. Or edited in any way without the written consent of Grace Baptist Church. Until next time, this is Truth with Grace.